my soul is satisfied in him alone. Amen. Church, go ahead if you have your copy of God's Word, and I certainly hope that you do. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. And I recognize in saying that uh, it is probably interesting for you to hear me say open your Bibles and not have that immediately followed with turn to 1 Thessalonians. But we have finished that book uh, and we are moving on. Actually, this is just a, a standalone sermon uh, this week uh, to prepare us for next week when we are going to launch into a series entitled Joy Seeker, which is really even what our memory verse has been about this month, Matthew 13, 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid and for joy over it. What does he do? He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So we're going we're gonna to look at the idea of pursuing joy in the Christian life and how that's actually central to the Christian life because we know the true source of joy is the only true giver of joy and that is the Lord Jesus. Amen. And so we're going to look at that and see how that affects us in the coming weeks. But for now, we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 through 25 and look at something I think is an important reminder uh, for us as a church. And so if you found your place in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, would you do me the pleasure of standing for the reading of God's word? If you are able, we do this not because of ceremony or ritual. We do this acknowledging that the creator of the world has spoken to us, his people, and he's decided to speak to us through his written word. So when the word is read, God speaks and we listen. All right. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's go to the Lord and thank Him for His word. Father, Lord, we pray as we turn now to Your word, we ask once again simply that it would do its work. We ask that it would pierce our hearts, that it would judge our thoughts and intentions, that it would bring life to us, that it would revive weary bones, that it would give hope where there is none. We ask, Lord, that you would change us by your word. And we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, I'm sure you know this from experience, but invisible things can often have visible effects. Have you ever thought about that? Invisible things can often have visible effects. Think of a strong gust of wind. I know as Floridians, we're not used to strong gusts of wind around hurricane season, right? But no, we've seen how something invisible like the wind can knock over trees or even power lines. You can't see the wind, of course, but you can see what it's done. Now, we should make clear that 
this kind of invisible cause to invisible effect is it's not limited to things that are actually invisible like wind. Sometimes there are things that are invisible not because uh, they're transparent but because they're hidden from sight. You could see them if you were able to see them but they're just at a place where you can't see. For instance, mold, right? Everybody's favorite often unseen, and yet has great effects to your health and property. Hopefully, none of you know that, but I'm sure some of you know that pretty well. Of course, things inside your body, right? You don't see them, but when they malfunction, often you will see some kind of residual effect on the outside of your body, and it's often very unpleasant. Now, uh, these are all negative examples of something invisible having a visible effect, but surely there are positive examples as well, aren't there? Like a nice cool breeze on a hot day, especially here, that's a wonderful thing, amen? Or a healthy looking strong body, so I heard anyway, I don't really know that from experience, but uh, it seems like when things are going well on the inside, uh, when the outside of your body is looking pretty good, right? Seems that that's the case. Well, look, the reason I'm bringing this up is because in our passage this morning, we find this exact principle at work. Something that is invisible having visible effects. Uh, This is what you see in Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 25. The main idea is your invisible high priest produces visible effects. That's the main idea of this passage. Your invisible high priest produces visible effects. And so two points this morning very clearly from the outset. First, your invisible high priest. We'll see that in verses 19 through 21. Second, produces visible effects. We'll see that in verses 22 through 25. So first, let's look at this idea of your invisible high priest. Before we do that, I want to set the context a little bit for the book of Hebrews. Uh, This book, nobody really knows who the author is. Some think it's Paul, some think it's Luke, some think it's Apollos. Nobody really knows who the author is. But he's he's writing to a group of people, a, a church, and he's telling them the main theme of this book is that Jesus is better. See, the people that he's writing to had endured persecution. Uh, They were Jews who had endured persecution because of their newfound faith in the new covenant Lord Jesus, right? And, And because of this persecution, they were now becoming tempted to go back to the old ways. To go back to the old ways of ceremony and and ritual and sacrifice. All of those things, they were being tempted to leave the Christian faith and go back to the old covenant way. And so the writer is reminding them consistently over and over how Jesus is better than all of those things. How Jesus is better. So that's really the main idea of this this book. And he says that particularly in this big section about him being your invisible high priest. So let's look at verses 19 through 21 and read those together again. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Now listen, I know I just cut off in the middle of a sentence. And so if you struggle with obsessive compulsive disorder, forgive me for that, okay? Uh, I know that I, I stopped mid-sentence. But these verses, they serve as a transition in this book of Hebrews. See, the things that we just read in those verses about Jesus, they really are just a summary of what the author's been talking about for several chapters now. And the subject is the high priesthood of Jesus. It's the office of high priest and his work as our high priest. 
So the author is now moving his argument forward. In verses 22 and 25, he is going to exhort us to do certain things. And so what he's doing here in verses 19 through 21 is he's giving us the basis, the ground, the foundation for what he is going to call us to do. In fact, a literal reading of this text would sound something like this. Since we have a high priest who has done these certain things, verses 19 through 21, let us now do these other things, verses 22 through 25. So, since and let us. Really just two parts here that we're examining. So, let's look just briefly at this summary of the high priesthood of Jesus, which serves to remind us of really many of the major themes in the book of Hebrews. The author reminds us again, verses 19 through 20, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. In short, uh, verses 19 through 20 show us it means that because of Jesus' high priestly work, we have access to God in a way that was not previously available before. Your invisible high priest gives us access to God in a way not previously available. In fact, this reminds us a little bit of 1 Thessalonians, doesn't it? About how we have access to God. We pray without ceasing. But, but this is where we get this doctrine from. It is Jesus who entered within the veil. It's Jesus, our high priest, who removed that curtain under the old covenant, separating the people of God from the presence of God. Now, by his blood, by his sacrifice, we may enter into that holy place. So the author calls this a new and living way just because it wasn't available before. It's new. It's, it's living because it brings life. Life is available to you when you approach God. So think about this, friends. Jesus, our captain, our forerunner, he consecrated that way for us. He went through that way into the presence of God, opening up access for his people for all times. Now, now this reference might have confused you in verse 20 when he talks about the reference to Jesus' flesh. Seems a little confusing. It might sound like the author is saying the veil is Jesus' flesh, but that's not what he's saying. Uh, the veil, just like it has been all throughout this book of Hebrews, is that old covenant curtain that blocked off the Holy of Holies. It separated God from his people. So Jesus' flesh, really what it's meant to rep represent here is his death. Uh, his flesh equals that flesh he offered up as priest in his death on the cross. And it's by his death, by his flesh, that the way to God's presence is open to us and his people. That's why the author mentions Jesus's flesh. So certainly we see that our invisible high priest gives us access to God in a way that was not previously available, and he's done so through his death. That's something I think we should know, and if you don't know, I pray that you would see that. Next, he reminds us, secondly, that he is a great priest over the house of God. Our great high priest is a great priest over the house of God. Now, of course, we know he's a great priest, don't we? 
We know that, but, but what the author is doing is pointing us back to Hebrews chapter 3, which Brother Corey read for us. It's to that theme of God's house shown in chapter 3. There, I don't know if you were able to pay attention, it's Moses who was a servant in that house. But Jesus was a son over the house. And so what the author is doing here in a few words is he's bringing together the importance of Jesus as son and Jesus as high priest. As we think about Jesus, those are the terms we think about him in or they would think about him in. Now listen, that is a, that is a lightning quick summary of 10 chapters in the book of Hebrews. And so here's what I'll encourage you to do. You got a day off tomorrow, just read the book of Hebrews, okay? It's not going to be that hard for you, but I want to encourage you to read through that because that's really all I want to say about your invisible high priest because he summarizes a whole lot of what has already been said so he can move forward in the sermon. Jesus has opened the way to God for us and he now ministers in the heavenly sanctuary on our behalf. He is out of sight, yes, but friends, he is working. And so, now that we've envisioned our great high priest who is invisible, second, I want us to see how it produces, invisible, or produces visible effects. This is really the, the core or the thrust of this morning's sermon. Our great high priest, our invisible high priest, he produces visible effects. Look at verses 22 through 25. Since these things, remember the, the structure here, since these things are true about our high priest, verses 22 through 25 says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of others ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. So, again, on the basis of what our high priest has done for us, the author is calling us here to do three particular things. And you can see that clearly laid out in the scriptures. Let us, let us, and let us. There are three things he calls us to do because of what Jesus, our high priest, has done. Now, I have to say, he is exhorting us, but friends, these are things we will do. When he says, let us, it's not a suggestion. It's not, hey, that'll be a good idea. It's not like, hey, let us go to dinner. No, let us stay home and eat. No. You don't get to say no to this let us. Because if you say no to this let us, it's simply a sign that you don't really know what your great high priest has done for you. That, that's the reality. When he says, let us do these things, true Christians will do it. It's not something you might do. It is something that will be produced in you by the Spirit of God that's converted your soul. So, again, remember the structure, though. We will do these things. Why? Because of what our high priest has done. This isn't like, okay, well, now let's work really hard to do something. This is an effect of the grace of your invisible high priest. So he calls us to do three things here. I want you to pay attention to these. First, he calls us to draw near to God in prayer. Draw near to God in prayer. Now, if that 
sounds familiar, if verse 22 sounds familiar to you, it's something that this author has said in a very famous verse in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 16. He's reiterating this same idea in verse 22 uh, from chapter 4, 16. There in chapter 4, 16, he tells us, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So obviously here he's talking about going to our Father in prayer. Since our high priest has done these things, let us go to God in prayer. But why would he need to mention that twice then? If he's already mentioned it in Hebrews 4.16, why in the world does he reiterate this again? Well... Uh, one reason is because this is, this is a literary device. Um, the book of Hebrews, it's really a sermon. It's one relatively long sermon. And, and when you live in a culture where it's expensive to own written materials, and where most people anyways can't even read, you learn to listen well. You spend more time listening, hearing, and less time reading. Now, now, in that kind of situation, a speaker will do certain things to signal to you when he is moving from one topic to another. If he wants his hearers to know that something is going to happen, he's going to use these kind of verbal literary signals. So what the author does here in chapter 4, verse 16, it's what's called an inclusio. Kids, that's a, that's a thousand dollar word right there, right? An inclusio, it's a fancy word. What it means is it, it's where you say something twice in two different places to show the boundaries of the subject at hand. And so when the author first talked about drawing near to God, it was at the beginning of his section on Jesus as our great high priest. Now, as he mentions it again, sure enough, he is at the end of this big section on Jesus' high priesthood. So he mentions it twice to indicate to his hearers that he's wrapping up the discussion. Hey, hey, I've heard something like that before. He must be moving on to another point, something else. But I also think there's another reason why he mentions drawing near to God twice. It's because you need to hear it. <laughs> Draw near to God. In fact, it's the reason why I wanted to, to stress this. I know we've talked about this over and over again in 1 Thessalonians, but we need to hear it again because we, we, we fail at this constantly. In fact, this past week, I listened to a sermon on this passage and the, and the pastor helpfully pointed out that, that all too often what we do is we have these times where we're not drawing near to God at all. And there are several reasons for that. It may be because we're bored. I just don't feel like taking the time to pray. It's boring. Or maybe it's because we've been sinning a lot. And we just would rather not to talk to God right now about that stuff. Because we know there's, there's a break there in that fellowship because of our sin. But for whatever reason, if we go a while without praying or drawing near to God in prayer, we haven't been drawing near to Him in a while. We tend to get this idea that what we need to do is just something. We need to do something. We've got to do something before we can draw near to God again. So we've been sinning. We've been, been neglecting prayer. Okay, what I'm going to try and do is be good just for a couple days. I'll pull myself up by my bootstraps, knock off that sinning, and then in a couple days I'll talk to God where he's a little happier with me. 
Or you're not praying because you're bored with it. Well, let me just get really jazzed up and excited for the, for the Lord a bit. If I get all, uh, all hyped up for him, then I'll approach him again in prayer and he'll be so happy to see me. Don't we do this? We, we feel like we need to reach a certain level of obedience before it's okay to draw near to God again. Friends, that's not true. That's not what we do. So it's been a while since you've prayed. What does the author say to do? Draw near to God. Don't do something else before you draw near to God. Draw near to him now. He's already told them in chapter 4 that if you are drawing near, that you will find what? Mercy and grace and help in your time of need. So, so yes, if you've been neglecting prayer, that's bad. You should stop neglecting prayer. But the solution is not do, 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 do. It is to draw near. Now, now, now look in verse 22 at how we are to draw near. Verse 22 tells us, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You know, it's amazing that, that sincere heart there, you'd look at that and you think, well, that's something I need to do. I just need to, to have a more sincere heart. Here's the reality, friends. You don't give yourself a sincere heart. You don't have that authority to give yourself a sincere heart. God gives you a sincere heart. Look at how the last part of verse 22 speaks again of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. Your bodies have been washed with pure water. That's talking about your baptism, which again is symbolizing the cleansing of your evil conscience, the washing of your sins that you received because of Jesus' work on your behalf. When you draw near to God as one of his children, you come as one who followed through in obedience to display the word visibly symbolized through a baptism. It's why it's the first command that you follow after you become a believer. See, God sees not just an outward baptism, but a baptism of heart and says, that's mine. And now look what he has provided for you so that you can draw near with a sincere heart. The reality is it's, it's God's work. He purifies you through the work of his son and given what he's done for you in these last days in his son, Jesus, your great high priest. How could you ever draw near to God with anything less than a full assurance of faith. If God has done it all for you, if he's done everything for you so that you may draw near to him, then draw near to him. So not only does he call us to draw near to him in prayer, secondly, he calls us to hold fast the confession of our hope. He calls us to hold fast the confession of our hope. Now, this is also something he has exhorted them to do previously. It's another part of chapter 4 and uh, verse 10. It's another inclusio, if you remember what that word is. Hopefully you will. I doubt it. But uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. I'm going to challenge you after the service. In Hebrews 4, 14, he says this. He says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now, while the wording is similar here, notice there is something a little different. He calls us to hold fast the confession of our hope. 
Now, remember what hope is. Hope doesn't mean the feeling of hope. It's not that feeling of hoping in something. It's the thing you are hoping for. It's not a subjective, internal thing. It's objective. It's outside of you. It's something for which you are hoping. And our hope is our final salvation. The completion of this work that Christ has began in us, the consummation of the new covenant where God fully and finally dwells with us and we dwell with him. Our hope is in that city whose architect and builder is God. That is our hope. Is that your hope this morning? You looking forward to that time where we won't have to mess with any of the sin stuff? We won't have the reality of this broken, messed up, jacked up world. But we get to live with our Savior in fullness forever. No hindrance between us and Him. We have that promise now. That is our hope. So He calls us to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Now how do you do that? How is that going to happen? Look what he tells you in the verse. Because he who promised is faithful. You see the importance of this? For those of you who might be tempted to shrink back from their confession. Remember the context here. They wanted to shrink away from their confession of Jesus Christ as Lord because of the persecution they faced. They wanted something tangible. They wanted something visible. The author calls you to confidence that God will bring about the hope you confess. God will bring about your ultimate salvation. See, you've confessed this hope. If you're a true Christian, it's what it means to be a Christian. You are one who has confessed that hope that you believe. You believe that, that here we do not have a lasting kingdom and city, but that we're seeking a city which is to come. But I have to ask, because there's this big theme in Hebrews about visible and invisible. Outward glory and inward glory. The excitement of the old covenant worship versus new covenant worship. Can I ask you, do you ever get disappointed with your confession? Do you ever get disappointed in some of the, what we would call the ordinary forms and vehicles of worship that we have here? The means of grace? Do you ever get disappointed with that? How often... Do you wish you could see something more than what we're seeing right now? When life is dull, when maybe spiritual things don't seem nearly as interesting, you look over at your Bible on your bedside table and you just think, ah, maybe tomorrow, maybe not. Drawing near to God in prayer, reading the scriptures, participating in the ordinances of Lord's Supper and, and baptism, communing with God's people, it's all just kind of basic ordinary isn't it sometimes it's just not nearly as exciting and fun it's boring at times if you're wondering well where's the excitement where's the flashy stuff friends if that's your mentality what happens when we add a little pressure to you what's going to happen you start receiving criticism for your beliefs you hear the laughs and jeers of the world from your favorite famous person. You've got a friend who professed Christianity for a lot of years, but suddenly he's interested in the whole Roman Catholic way of life. I can see things. I can smell things. Now I, I'm feeling connected to something holy. If you've grown or tired of these ordinary means and you're pressured in other ways, 
What's going to happen to your confession? Are you content in these situations to continue to confess your hope, which is unseen? Are you content to confess to a priest who is presently unseen? Are you content to confess that what really has the power in this world appears at times to be weak, ordinary, and even boring to those who are outside? Well, I hope so. I hope you were content to do that. You know why? Because he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. His faithfulness to you is expressed in these very ordinary means. His word, the ordinances, prayer, fellowship, these are the means by which he who is promised is faithful expresses his faithfulness to you. And you know what? If you've seen that, you've seen it. If you've seen how just sitting in a room with ten other people around the word of God, how that enlightens your soul to the truth about God's word, where it provides resounding hope in the midst of affliction, Boy, you hold fast that confession, don't you? If you've seen the times where you are at your wit's end and you are falling to your knees in prayer, knowing that you have access to the God of the universe, you hold fast that confession. If you've partaken in the Lord's Supper, being reminded of the sacrifice of our Savior's body and His blood spilled out for us, you hold fast that confession. If you have seen the beauty of the local church and communing with your brothers and sisters in Christ where you've got nowhere else to go, but you know you've got a brother and sister who is faithfully praying for you and encouraging you all the day long, boy, you hold fast that confession. And so what seems to be ordinary on the outside for the true Christian we know is supernatural. And God uses it. So hold fast to that confession of hope. These ordinary things are the very things that God gives you to survive this earthly pilgrimage until you inherit that city he's building for us. Third, he calls us, thirdly, to consider how to stimulate, how to encourage one another. This is the third thing he calls us to do. More specifically, of course, in our verse, we are encouraged on how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. See, in verse 25, you see the context for which this encouragement, this stimulation takes place. It's in the assembling of ourselves together. So why should we not forsake the assembling together? Look at what the alternative is to forsaking our assembling together. It's encouraging one another. You either forsake assembling... Or you encourage. That's part of what we do here. That's what we're here to do. We are here to encourage one another. So this is another place in Hebrews where we're called to think. We're called to consider. If you read this book, there's a lot of those. Look at verse 24 again. He says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. You know what your job right now is, church? Your job as a church member is to think. How can I encourage those around me? How can I help them? How can I love them so that they love others? These are the things that the church of Jesus Christ will give thought to. 
Now, are those the kind of things that, that you think about when you're in church? Let's be honest. What are you thinking about when you're in worship? Did I pay the phone bill this month? I, I need to check that. Oh, oh goodness. Did I, did I turn the crock pot on? Because if, I, if lunch isn't ready by 1230, everybody's going to be grouchy. It's going to be an awful day. Is this sermon almost over? Goodness gracious. I thought he only had two points. This one's really long. Is he about done? Can the Jags win more than one game this year? Right? <laughs> Listen, can we get past that stuff? Is it, is it even possible? How about this instead? Well, there's a family I've, I've seen before, but there's a family I, I have never seen before. How can I encourage them before they get out of the door? There's my friend who I know has been struggling with a particular sin in his life. How in the world can I encourage him to greater obedience? There's someone whom I know who has recently experienced great loss. How can I love them so that they can love others? Now, I know we find ourselves in those conversations here at First Baptist Church of Gray Gables. I see them often. It makes me thank God for the fellowship we have here. It's a beautiful thing. But let me ask you, can we do better? Can we? What would Gray Gables look like if each one of us consciously considered how to stimulate and encourage one another to love and good deeds? What would that look like? If I had to guess, I'd say it would look as about as close to heaven as you find on earth. Now, listen, I, I must say, I know I'm preaching to the choir here when I talk about church attendance because it's Memorial Day weekend after all, right? And you are present. That in itself is often seen as a miracle, right? Uh, it's like going to a germaphobe convention and giving a lecture on the importance of cleanliness. But once again, we see in this passage the absolute importance of attending worship. And hear me, not just Sunday morning, but at every opportunity. See, listen to me. It is here in the Lord's house where we grow together, where we give and receive encouragement toward love and good deeds. We have no less than the command of God not to forsake our assembling together. This isn't just my idea. And I know that's how it always seems from the pastor that tells you to come to church, right? Like some sort of mindset, like, man, the, the bigger the attendance is, the bigger glory I get out of it, and I'm so proud my own way and all this sort of stuff. And listen, every pastor struggles with that. I'm not going to lie and say we don't struggle with that. But friends, my heart of heart knows that you belong here, that this is the place. I want you to be here so that you are encouraged and so that you do not rob somebody else of being encouraged by you. That, that's why you come. That's the purpose. And it is so incredibly, at times, can be incredibly selfish to think that I can sit at home, not come to church. I'm not talking about those who have legitimate reasons. But you know when you have legitimate reasons. You can sit at home, not come to church, and rob somebody of what they're supposed to be receiving from you. See, this is part of the mindset we have in church is now we are in a consumeristic mentality, right? I, don't, I come to church so that I can minister to other people. No, I, I come to church to receive. Yes, you do. There's a part of that's true. But that you don't just come to church to receive. That, that's not it. This isn't some sort of entertainment show where I'm giving you some sort of power lecture. So you can go out and just do you. 
We are a community of believers who have been set apart by God for God. We have been called into unity together. Amen. We do not forsake the assembling of one another because it is our command from God to encourage one another, to actively be thinking of how we can encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ. I'll say one more thing about this. You really won't know how to encourage and stimulate one another to love and good deeds if you don't know each other. That's the reality. Do you know how many times I hear from somebody, oh, that's so-and-so's name? Just, again, we've, we've hit on this a whole bunch of times, haven't we? Go introduce yourself. Tell them you're bad at names. Just say it. I'm bad at names. I, and, and promise you will be forgiven. Go tell somebody. How, ask them how you can love and encourage them. You cannot encourage somebody if you do not know them. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Why? Because ultimately we need each other. That's the truth. We need each other. I, I, and I've said this before. I know there are legitimate reasons why we can't show up at every single worship service, of course. But if you are able to be here and then you are absent just for the sake of your own convenience, remember what you're doing. You are robbing your brothers and sisters of the encouragement that God calls you to bless them with. You're robbing the church of Christ when you don't show up for worship because you don't feel like it. We're living in the last days. As verse 25 tells you, you see the day drawing near. What is that day? It's the day of the Lord. It's the day of judgment. The day when we will inherit that city whose architect and builder is God. And it's true that we live by faith and not by sight. But even so, you see the day of the Lord approaching. Because of that, you are called to encourage one another more and more as that day approaches. People of God, we do not yet see all things subject to Jesus. We do not yet see him fully as our great high priest who has passed through the heaven and sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. But we do see the effects of his work. By his grace, we do see a people drawing near to God. We see a people holding fast their confession of hope. And we do see a people considering how to love and stimulate one another toward love and good deeds. Now in light of all that our high priest has done for us, let us also once again Commit ourselves to those things. Does that describe you as a Christian this morning? If, you, if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ and you know that, does that right there describe you as a Christian? Someone who draw nears to God. Someone who is holding fast the confession of their hope. And someone who is considering how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And if not, there are a couple things. A, just consider where you are in your walk with Christ. If you have one at all. Because let me tell you, if, if you don't see any of those effects, you don't see a, even a slight desire for any of those effects, then remember what these effects are. They're effects of knowing the great high priest. Could it be that you don't know the great high priest, Jesus Christ? Could it possibly be that you've never seen these effects in your life because you've never given your life to him? That you've never submitted your life over to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ? But maybe, look, you're just... You're like me, and the struggle is real sometimes. Sometimes I've got a thousand different things going on in my mind at the church service. Sometimes I'm, I'm entertained by things outside of this world that look as they're tangible and visible. Sometimes 
I'm neglecting drawing near to God in prayer. Maybe the, the Lord's just stirred your heart to repent of those things. Everyone needs to repent all the time, right? None of us will ever do this perfectly until that day comes. But while we are here, that's the beauty of the local church, is we have opportunities like this where we can even now look at how to stimulate and encourage one another to love and good deeds. Would you join me in that endeavor? May we be a church that shows the visible effects of our invisible high priest. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we've considered your word this morning. We know that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Would you show us the truth of your word? Father, this is not a time to gather and hear Pastor Cody's opinions on anything. This is to unpack and see the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that your word would speak to us in such a way that it would encourage and bring about the change that you desire. But Lord, we know we don't do that by simply saying, well, I'm going to change. We know we do that by resting in the spirit of God who is going to finish the work which you began in us. So Father, as we rest, there will be effects of those rest. There will be evidence that we're resting and trusting in the spirit. So Father, we, we lay it all before you this morning. We are exposed before your sight. You know our hearts. You have tried and tested us. Lord, see if there's any wicked way in us. And if there is, we know another evidence of a true believer is that they will repent of sin. So, Father, we pray that you would bring about repentance in us. But if there be one here this morning that knows they've never had any desire, they've never seen any of those effects because they, they really have never really met their great high priest, would you remind them of what you've done on the cross, what you've done for them, the Lord, that though they were sinners, you and your holiness sent your son Jesus to live the life that they could not live, that they should have lived, but they can't live. And that you bore the penalty that they deserve, a penalty of death and wrath, so that they could obtain righteousness. You who knew no sin became sin on their behalf, so that they might become the righteousness of God. Father, would you encourage them that to receive this free gift, they simply need to repent of their sins, turn from their wicked ways, and, and, and put you where you belong as Lord over their lives and follow you, and then trust in your finished work on the cross to receive salvation. Lord, if there's someone here who has never done that, who's never had that happen to them, we pray that the word would weigh heavy on their heart this morning, that they could not leave this room without telling somebody how desperately they need Christ. Would you work? We know you're faithful to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing this song, Reflection, together.